And we are in part 19 of our series through the book of Isaiah called the Wake Up Series. And I entitled the message, Awaken to the Glory of God. And I want to begin this morning by giving you a kind of a short synopsis of Life 101. Uh, Christian Life 101. I think that sometimes if we've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, we get a little bit wrapped up in rabbit trails and a little bit lost sometimes. And we need to re-rack and kind of go, wait, wait, remind me again of what I'm doing. And, and in my intro, what I'm trying to get us to understand is the idea that for many of us and our culture, we have been taught and trained that the whole point of everything is to get saved. Uh, so we can get our ticket to heaven. That is not correct. As a matter of fact, it is just the beginning of a beautiful process. And I would suggest to you, it is a continuance of a beautiful process. And unfortunately, a lot of us are left with, now that I'm saved, I don't know what I'm doing. What do I do next? What is my life about? How am I supposed to act now? That is actually what I want to address. So let's zoom all the way back to birth. We were all born broken, bent towards selfishness and sin. Last night as I was walking in the back, I saw a buddy of mine. They just, his wife just had a little, little baby. Most babies are little, but (laughs) this is a a little one. And, And he, and he had her all wrapped up like the burrito kind. And it was just like little. And he was showing me his daughter and he was so excited and I, I remember reflecting as I walked up to teach the message, just because they're cute doesn't mean they don't have sin. And I know it's weird to think that babies are born into sin. Um, the Bible says that from birth, we are steeped in sin in the, in the sense of we are broken on the inside. We are prone to wander. Is that if you have a little toddler, you begin to realize this, that children are by nature inherently selfish because they need to be. Uh, it's part of the, how they grow and everything else. It's not till later in their development that they have awareness of people outside of themselves. So we are born into sin. What we find... Um, is that even though we have sin, God is still working with us. I, I want to drop a, a doctrinal concept on you that I would like to give you freedom to disagree with. All right, What I'm about to share with you on this piece, uh, there, I believe it's biblical evidence. That's why I believe it. I don't believe it because it works for me. But you can disagree with me. This is not gospel fact. All right. And the thing is, is that I believe in a doctrine called the age of accountability. The age of accountability means that even though children are born into sin, they are not held accountable for their sin, but they are atoned for. They are covered over by God until a time of awareness. Now, just because it's covered over, and atonement means cover, just because they're covered over doesn't mean it doesn't dwell there. It just means that it's covered over. So as we begin to grow up in this, As we begin to grow up with the idea, as a young child, we begin to realize something's wrong, something's broken. When we start getting this idea of expectations and responsibility, we begin to try to do certain things and we find that there is resistance. We, our parents say, I want you to do this. And we find that we are prone to do another. Even when we really want to do right and do good things, we aren't doing good things. And this awareness comes upon us. Something's happening here and we find and probably the best analogy I've ever heard is that our rudder is broken 
As a boat, we keep steering off course and yet we're holding on viciously to the steering wheel. We're trying to do our best. We're not swerving. We're trying to follow the Lord, but no matter how hard we try, we keep drifting off course. We can't see the rudder, so we don't realize what's wrong because the brake is so far down deep is that we keep swerving and overcorrecting and we don't know why. It is in this time that God begins to interject himself into our lives in not just a protective way, but an interactive way. This is where God begins to get our attention and he whispers to us and we begin to have this idea that maybe there's something outside of our world. Here's the problem. Our environments help us to interpret those indicators. If we are in a healthy Christian environment, we will hear a phrase like this. Oh, oh, I get it now. That's the voice of the Lord. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to bed and I want you to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. If you grow up in an atheistic household, what you're going to hear is what happened? Okay. I have no idea. Uh, all I'm telling, I'm certainly not God, so I don't know what it is, but you might need to figure that one out. If you're born into another religion, if you are in different parts of the world, your atmosphere and environment will tell you how to interpret the indicators, either positively or negatively. But what's intriguing is God does not give up. He continues to hound us. He continues to spread his love. We may be confused and we may spend the majority of our life wandering to figure out what is it that's trying to get my attention I mean, I don't, I don't understand it fully. I know there's an agitation in me and we wander and we're consistently knowing someone's calling our name, but we're not quite sure how it works. Well, without getting into a theological debate with you on how this works, for some of us, salvation occurs. It is always initiated by God. God rescues us, he delivers us, he heals us. Somehow light floods in, we are made new, we are adopted, and on a spiritual level, level we are made clean and we are forgiven. We become full of grace and full of God's love, not having to earn it, but it is a gift. And all of reality changes for us. In our standing with God, we are deemed fully pure due to the blood shed on the cross by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But while we are here, there is still much to do. Something I found intriguing was that in Micah's spoken word, the first one, he referred to something I said last week. Eternal life begins at the point of belief, not at the point of death. Eternal life begins at the point of belief, not at the point of death. We were designed for relationship. The only reason we were saved was so that could become a reality. But it doesn't just stop there. We are then sanctified. Sanctified is a fancy word for being made holy, being made to look like Jesus, taking the garbage out and making us become what we were truly designed to be. We were saved that our relationship with God might be possible and we are sanctified that our relationship with God might be deep. 
So what are we to do after salvation? It is a continuance of that to ever increasingly know God more, be known by more. And even though in many ways the Holy Spirit has healed our rudder, even though he has made certain things right, our habitual patterns are to steer off course now. And we have to relearn how to sail our ship. The purpose of purification is to remove anything that hinders our walk with God and to encourage anything that helps us engage with who God is. Let's use an analogy. Yeah. All right. Now I'm going to actually ask for a show of hands with you. So uh, when I say, Hey, raise your hand, I'm raising my hand first. Cause I'm in this category. Um, and I will just warn you on this. I will turn on you. Okay, so I, I just want you to know that up front. All right, so here we go. Here we go. Yeah, nothing else is new. That's true. Now, here's the deal. How many of you, and I got two categories we're going to lump together because they're the same thing. Okay, ready? How many of you are either collectors or pack rats? Raise your hand. Yeah. All right, there you are. There's a bunch of you. Okay, put your hands down. I got an analogy for you. All right, everyone else, you, you've probably seen the show Hoarding. Or buried alive. Okay, that's where I just turned on you. Did you see that? You raised your hand as a collector. I called you a hoarder. You understand what I'm saying? All right, there we go. Now, here's an analogy of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes into our life, knocks on the door to our heart, and says, hey, I'm moving in. And you're like, yeah, I'm so glad you're here. That's awesome. Come on in. Hey, have a seat. And we look around. I had a chair. I swear I had a chair earlier. I don't know exactly know where it went. So have a seat and we just knock over a pile. Have a seat right here. So the Holy Spirit goes, all right, okay. Interesting place you got here. Uh, I don't know what that smell is, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's something. I don't know what it is, but we'll get to that later. Very creative work in here. You've certainly used all the space. Um, so here's the deal. Um, what we're going to do is that I kind of have this design, right? So we're going to get some of this stuff out of here because it's kind of, it's kind of cramping everything, but we're going to get some of this stuff out of here. We're going to open up the windows, let some light in. And then what we're going to do is, you know how awesome it's going to be when you and I are sitting down in front of the fire and we're having coffee together and we're inviting friends over. And that's when you go, whoa, 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 whoa. what'd you say? We mean invite friends over. No, Holy Spirit. This is called personal space, right? No, no, no. I mean, no, we don't have people here. No, no, there's not even places for them to sit. So here's the deal. Uh, No, this is just kind of you and me. Holy Spirit's like, wait a second. Well, I didn't come into your life just so it's only you and me. I mean, your neighbors are kind of hurting. It'd be really neat if we could have them over and, and you could kind of introduce me and that we could kind of start things like that. Well, that, okay, but that means we're going to have to like take out a lot of this stuff. I mean, we can't, we can't fit them in here. I know that was kind of my point before you cut me off, right? So I was trying to explain that I'm going to be taking some of this stuff out. So why don't we go ahead and get rolling? All right, so so he goes, what, do you, what can we get rid of first? Well, I don't know, Holy Spirit. What, what do you want to get rid of? I don't know. How about all this on this side? Yeah. Okay, so the thing about that is that's from my grandma. And uh, the, 
This is, this is personal family stuff. And I know it doesn't look fancy to you, but it's kind of important to me. All right. Okay. Uh, I'm with that. How about this side all over here? Are you messing with me? Are you mad? Really? Really? You can't see? You can't say, well, you know what? No, <laughs> uh, it's kind of the same thing. You know what I mean? So, uh, okay. So what are we getting rid of? I, I don't, I don't, I'm all in. I just, you know, I'm just saying whatever you want to, you know, you want to do. Okay. Let me tell you something. I'm going to clean some of this. I don't want to be a jerk. I'm going to be really, I'm trying to be really a gentleman about this whole thing. And I'm going to get rid of some of this stuff. I understand it's hard for you. I understand there's a lot of emotional attachment to it, but I'm going to get this stuff out of the house one way or another. I would love to do it along with you, but understand now that your neighbors know that I came into this house, they all have a certain expectation and their expectation is maybe sometime they, Oh, look, the Holy spirit, that guy looks like a nice guy. I'd like to get to know him. They're going to be drawn towards you and we need to have space for them and we need space for our 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 relationship so we're going to clean some of this out okay yeah yeah yeah. that that's cool now do you understand that what the holy spirit has to do sometimes is with all the bags that are around the front door that he's gathered up he goes look over there and then opens the door and throws it out and slams the door and then you're like what i didn't see anything he's like i have no idea i don't I thought, I thought I saw something out of the window there. That is a window, right? I can't really see out of it, but yeah, that's one. Okay. So the Lord is cleaning out because he knows what it can become. He knows why it is necessary. He knows why it is good. He knows that instead of going through your house like this, just to get through all the stacks, you will have a freedom to walk widely in your home, a freedom to sit anywhere you want to sit, a freedom to have fresh air breathing through with wonderful natural light and a healthy environment. That is what he is going for. And when indeed your neighbors come over and they see what the Holy Spirit has done in your life, he looks good. That is the heart of what he is trying to accomplish in us. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Our purification brings him glory. Our purification brings him glory. The whole point always comes back to intimacy with the Father. Whatever hinders that has got to go. Whatever's helping that has to be engaged with. That is the process of what we're supposed to do with our everyday life. Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 47 verse 1. Page 607 in the Bible is under the seat in front of you, Isaiah 47.1. Let's go ahead and throw that map up here as we start. Maybe just pull it down after about 15 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and read through this, and we have a series of things that God is going to bring to our attention. It begins like this. God is speaking to the empire or the great city or the power that is known as Babylon. The Babylonians, the ones that are about to come in in 150 years and wipe out the south, Jerusalem, and take them captive. Come down and sit in the dust, meaning come into utter humiliation, O virgin daughter of Babylon, who was once pristine and shining. Sit on the ground without a throne. You have been brought from on high to low, O daughter of the Chaldeans, which is synonymous with the Babylonians. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate, beautiful and glorious, 
And indeed, Babylon was famous around the world for being a beautiful city. Take the millstones and grind flour. Those are menial tasks for slaves. Put off your veil, go from rich and famous to destitute, strip off your robe, uncover your legs, pass through the rivers, your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. Depending on what commentary you read, that is either a a veiled reference to rape in war or it is a fleeing perspective of women women having to gather up their skirts and become immodest in their culture in order to cross through a river just to get away. I will take vengeance, God says, and I will spare no one. For some of us, because we know that there is evil that dwells within us, that is a nerve-wracking phrase. I will take vengeance. I will spare no one. But for those of us that have been victimized by someone else, for those of us that feel abandoned by God, for those of us that feel like he doesn't care and the bad guys always win, that is a comforting phrase. Oh, I'll take care of it. Hand it over to me. I know what I'm doing. And when I get it done, I will do it well. We must always know that no matter how mighty someone is, including ourselves, God can change it in an instant. That he can then take you from a lofty perch. And as a matter of fact, the higher you are lifted up, the further the fall. The greater you appear, the greater the humiliation. There is no room for pride. For God can change it at any moment. Interesting point about that prophecy that we just read, and we're going to continue to read, is that it is in 700 BC. It doesn't occur till 150 years later. As a matter of fact, when the Jews would first read this out of Isaiah's mouth and out of his writing, Babylon isn't even a big deal yet. They haven't even risen up as a kingdom yet. Their heyday was gone. It's now swept down. They were not anything at the time. They were playing second chair to Assyria. Nineveh was a big deal. The Assyrian nation was a big deal. Babylon was not a big deal. So the Jews are going, you're doing all this talk about Babylon taking us over and Babylon being humbled. Dude, they're not even a big deal. God said, I'm calling my shots so far in advance. I will talk about them before they even exist. So for the next 150 years, any Jew can read the Isaiah scroll and know, I know what I'm talking about. Watch this. It will happen exactly as I said. They will rise up and it will become a mighty city. And indeed, Cyrus, the Persian, who I raise up myself, will come in in 539 BC and he will storm and take over Babylon. And he will be raised up, but I will humble them too. When Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he creates this incredibly powerful Babylonian nation, understand I can shut him down too. Speaking of God, verse 4, this is how he is described. Our Redeemer, the one who pays a price to set us free. The Lord of hosts, the warrior God of angels and heavenly beings. That is his name. The one that protects us is the Holy One of Israel, the personal God, the defender of the Jewish people. Remember how I told you that I have mighty respect for 12-step programs. Remember I told you that? 
I said that last week. I have a lot of respect for 12-step programs, even ones that are that don't even involve God. Why? Because they provide a help to reset habitual patterns and to try to help people. And help is a good thing. Help is not a bad thing. So even if you go into AA and your higher power is a tree, there's still help provided for, right? And you got to look at that and go, man, I'm going to give props where props are due, which is help is good. As a matter of fact, if you were walking down the mall one day and there was a predator following you, you track on them, you know they're following your every move and they seek to either mug you or take something from you. And all of a sudden another shopper comes alongside and says, I noticed the guy following you. I'm going to go ahead and do a distraction. I want you to, to take off and go into this store and I'm going to lead him away from you. You would say, thank you. That's good help. And indeed, sure enough, they cause a distraction. You duck into the store and you see them lead him away and you go, wow, that's incredible help. That is a benefit. That's good. But here's what the world cannot do. The world can only help. They cannot deliver. There's a difference there. Help is temporary. Deliverance is permanent because even though the world can distract the bad guy, the bad guy's still out there looking for you. But when God takes care of it, the bad guy's gone. So as much as the world can provide help, the world cannot provide true deliverance. Only God is able to do that. God says, you want to know why we're doing all this? Babylon, you want to know why I'm so irritated at you? All right, let's go. I was angry with my people Israel. I even profaned my heritage. I had to publicly humiliate my own family, which doesn't make me look awesome. I gave them into your hand in the Babylonian captivity, but you showed them no mercy on the aged, on the elderly. You made your yoke exceedingly heavy. In other words, Babylon, you took it too far. I got limits, man. I selected you out. I asked you to do a job. I even gave you gifting and talent to go do it. And you went too far. You thought now you're going to call the shots. I'm the one that calls the shots. And any violation of my limitations is a problem. Let me give you an explanation on this. With evil, there are always limitations. You guys remember the story of Job. Who started the conversation about Job, God or Satan? God did. Have you considered my servant Job? God's the one that got the attention of him. Satan's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I see that guy. Absolutely. That guy's, oh, he's awesome. Rock star. Yeah. Well, do you know why he's like that? Well, yeah, because you defend him all the time. That's why he's like that. Everything's great for that guy. Well, what do you think? Well, I think he'll curse you if anything goes bad for him. That's what I think. I think he's shallow. All right. Go for it. Don't touch him. You can touch everything around him. Wham! Everything falls apart. You remember the story. And it comes back up. Have you considered my servant Job? Yep, sure did. Well, did he curse me? No, he didn't. That's because you're still protecting him. All you want to do is always shield, 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 right? Well, if you take that away, I swear to you, he will deny you. All right, go for it. Don't kill him, but you can touch him. Bam! All the terrible stuff, the boils, the horrible things, he's reduced to waste. What's the point of the story? There's always limitations. You can do this and no further. You can do this and no further. You can do this and no further. Evil always has limitations. God is the only source of power and he runs everything. And if anyone oversteps those boundaries, there will be consequences. 
There are angels of the past that are going to be thrown into the abyss because of what they have done. When Lucifer launched an all-out assault on the kingdom of God, on the throne of God, to lead one-third of heaven to attack God and try to take his position, God shut him down. You don't overstep your boundaries. And evil always has boundaries. You said, verse 7, speaking of Babylon, you said, oh, I'll be mistress forever. I'll always be the queen. That is a God-like statement. That is a pride issue. No one can touch me. Let me paraphrase what he says. Hear this, you lover of pleasure, and think that you're God. In one day, I'll make you both a widow, and I'll take away all your children. Despite your belief in sorcery and magic, it's not going to help you. Babylon was famous for their astrologers and astronomers and magic and black arts. And they thought that was just kind of the the cream of the crop of shielding over all of them. They thought, nobody can touch us. We are so mighty. He says, you know what? I can humble you in one day. It's intriguing because just as all kingdoms begin with pride before they fall, so do all people. Be very careful when you start thinking that there are no consequences to what you do. Be very careful when you start thinking that now you call all the shots because the fall is yet to come. This is where God engages in verse 12 with that heavenly gift that he has imparted to me called sarcasm. God is so thick on sarcasm here, it's ridiculous. Remember, they were all prideful about their their amazing sorceries and their spells and all this stuff. He said, all right, let's play that game. Why don't you stand fast in that? Why don't you continue on? Man, you lock in in your spells. Did I interrupt you? Sorry about that. There's enchantments you were doing. Go ahead. Your many sorceries, your black arts with which you've labored from your youth. Man, you've been working on those a long time. You are an expert in that area. Perhaps maybe this time you'll be able to succeed, right? See that sarcasm? Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's going to protect you from me, God says. Perhaps you may inspire terror. <gasps> you may be, make me afraid of you, right? Let, he said, you are wearied with your many counsels. What, you got everybody giving you a spiritual opinion. How's that working for you? Let them stand forth. Let them save you. Let your sorcery fix it all. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who, in the, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Your fortune tellers, your diviners. Behold, here's the real truth. They will be burned up in one instant and in one day with fire. And that was in 539 B.C. There is, verse 15, there is no one to save you. You ready for a side tangent? What's the problem with magic? It's a perfect time to address this issue. I am not knocking at all on the novels. Understand me on this one. But why can't we have real life Harry Potters? Why can't we have white witches? Why can't we twitch our nose? Why can't we have talking cats? Why can't we have genies in a bottle? Why, if there's a power out there, why can we not harness it for good? If indeed that there is all this, this, this universal power, if there's things to be had, why can't we then engage with those arts and allow them to be used for benefit? 
I mean, it's a fair question. As a matter of fact, I'm a huge fan of illusion. I love the idea of tricks and magic, but understand they're tricks. They know that they're fake. Everybody knows they're fake. And there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. That's the whole point of it. I love that stuff. I think it's fascinating. But when we're talking about impersonal forces, let's say there are forces out there that can be used at our disposal. If we're talking about anything that is in our reality, that is in our universe, we're not talking about magic. That's different. We're not even in the conversation yet. Let me give you an example. Um, and I'll use this. Okay, you ready? This is one of my most powerful tricks. You actually have to watch very closely. You ready? This is pretty awesome. Okay, ready? Watch. It will drop. Thank you. Gravity isn't magic. We can all do it. Right? Do you understand how stupid it is? Of course, gravity is not magic. It's an impersonal force that is out there that can be utilized by anybody. How about people reading? People reading is not magic. It's a skill. It's an art form. Sometimes I'll be in counseling and I'm trying to connect with somebody and I'll say something like, you know what? Here's it. I really want to know what's going on in your head as you're driving over here, right? Let's picture this. You're driving over here in your Honda, right? You're coming in and you're listening to the radio and then all of a sudden you begin to have this Oh my gosh, I'm going to go to counseling with Pastor Lance and I don't know what's going to happen. When all that anxiety comes up, what were you thinking? You are magic. How do you know that? How do you know what was going on when I was on my way over here? How do you know that I drive a Honda? It's on your keychain. That's not magic. Do you understand that hypnotism is not magic? Hypnotism is the power of suggestion. And you know why it works? Because we're more stupid than you think we are. All right. Not magic. We're not in the magic discussion yet. But there is indeed stuff that happens from beyond. Now, because of this misrepresentation and miscategorization, we have had many people burned at the stake for being a witch that weren't engaged in witchcraft. We have had a lot of people called demon-possessed that were either mentally ill or merely physically ill, like epilepsy. We miscategorize a lot of stuff, but real power is out there of a supernatural sort that is not from this world, that does not come from skill or impersonal force. That is a form of magic. It draws on power from beyond our reality. Here's the problem. There's only one source of power in the entire existence, and that is God. But there are two sides that utilize it. There are only two sides. There's not a third side. There are many supernatural beings, but there is only one source of God, yet deriving from that source, there is either God or Satan's side. There's no such thing as neutral magic. There is real power available from Satan. How do we know that? Because it's been demonstrated time and again. Y'all remember the story of Moses. He goes before Pharaoh. Everybody remember his cool little trick? He had a staff, and whenever he would cast a staff down, it would become a snake right now i always picture it as being a cobra because that's cool and it can't be a gardener snake because that's lame so <laughs> he drops it down big old cobra right gonna rise it doesn't have arms but it's okay anyway so it rises up and then do you remember what the other team did they threw down their sticks and they became 
snakes. So sure enough, they become snakes. Now it's cool that his snake ate their snakes. It's just like, check that out. Uh huh, right? And then he's like, ah, and he's eating their snakes. I think that's awesome. But anyway, that's not the point. There was a series of plagues that they were able to duplicate by the power of the supernatural. That's legit. And it's intriguing because Satan does have access. God has in Powered him in creating him and given him a certain realm that he's allowed to walk in and certain things that are outside of our universe and experience that he has access to and he is willing to give it to people at a cost. How do we know that temptation of Christ in the desert? Jesus, come here for a second. See all these kingdoms, right? They're mine. You know why they're mine? Because your dad handed them over to Adam and Eve, who gave them to me for a piece of fruit. I got them. These are mine. And for now, your dad has let me be in control of all of them. I understand that you are the son of God. I understand that you are now going to take me out of the picture at some point. I get all that. However, do we really need to go through the process that you're going to go through? Do we really need to go through all that work, all that hardship, all that pain? Is that what needs to happen? You know what? I tell you this right now. I'll give it to you. I'll hand it over to you right now. I know you will ultimately get it, but I can give it to you earlier. I can give it to you easier. Do you want that? I only require one thing. Bow down before me. Satan is willing to give of part as long as he gets all of you. There's no such thing as neutral magic. It all comes at a cost. All supernatural should be tested against scripture. Either it's bogus or it's coming from somewhere. Where is it coming from? Chapter 48, verse 1. Let's run through the last of this. Hear this, and this is the author's kind of final recap of what's going on. Uh, Hear this, O house of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. Y'all got the title. You're all ancestors of Abraham. Y'all want to be able to say, no, 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 we're good with God because we do all the right rituals. You know what? Title means nothing. Ask the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts. Y'all know that story? Guys have been wandering around Jerusalem. They're casting out demons, and they would cast them out with title. They said, I cast you out in the name of Christ whom Paul preaches. At one point, they came up against a demon that said, hold up. What'd you say? I cast you out in the name of Christ who Paul preaches. Okay. Oh, I know Jesus. We're all scared of Jesus. Paul, we all hate Paul. Who are you again? That's funny because I've asked around. We don't know you. You're not on any role anywhere. You're not on his team. And it says, and the demon left out and all those men left naked and bleeding. That's not a good thing. Understand title means nothing. You know how that applies to us? Just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you come to church doesn't make you holy. Just because you say you know God doesn't mean God knows you. So the fact of the matter is it all has to do with a heart issue. It all has to do with something much deeper than whether or not you got a title or you got a nameplate on your desk. Because I know that you are an obstinate people because I know you are stubborn. God says to the Jewish people and your neck is like an iron muscle and your forehead is like brass. It's as hard as a rock. I declared prophecies of what I would do in the future to you from a long time ago before they came to pass. I would announce them to you unless you would say, oh, my idol did that. My carved image, my metal image commanded them. Sometimes God will allow an obscurity where you don't know where it came from. And sometimes he's going to get the glory he deserves. And he's going to shut it all down and go, I did that. Stop telling me someone else did that. 
The doctors didn't do that. I did that. You've never heard, verse 8. You've never known. You never took it to heart. You weren't listening. From a long time ago, your ear hasn't been open. You're not listening to God. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth, you were called a rebel. What's he talking about? Y'all remember the story of where Israel came from? The name Israel was changed from what name? Jacob. Anybody remember what Jacob was like? Yeah, he had a twin brother. His twin brother's name was? Esau, the hairy one. Remember him? So he's just like, like caveman guy, right? So when they, there was two babies in the womb, you remember how this all started? Because Jacob means deceiver. It means treacherous one. And so sure enough, even at birth, I don't know if you remember this story. This is awesome. So Esau gets out first. I don't know if he's like, I go first, right? He shoves him away and he starts to go, right? And he comes out of the womb. Well, it's funny because then Jacob goes, no. And he reaches his hand out of the womb. Like I will get a hold of him. and he's hanging on to his leg. I don't know what he was going to do. It's not going to pull him back in and switch. I mean, it was, what was he trying to accomplish? Right. What the idea was he was grasping and trying to get ahead. And as you notice his lifestyle, he was a deceiver. Isn't it interesting that God uses him to be the nation of Israel? This is what you were. This is what you are now. In the middle, we had to wrestle a little bit. Are you walking with a limp? That's weird. (laughs) Verse 9, for my name's sake, to keep up my reputation as God, I defer my anger, I forgive and let it go. For the sake of my praise, to get the glory I really deserve, I restrain it for you. I hold back things from getting worse, that I may not cut you off, that I don't finish you and wreck you from this earth. Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. It's not like... I refined you to bring the best out of you. No, no, no. I took you through the furnace of affliction in the Babylonian captivity for my own sake, for my own sake. He actually says it twice. I do it for how should my name be profane? My glory, I will not give to another. One of the big challenging things in life is to answer the question, is God working with me or in spite of me? Blessing is not a clear indicator of a right relationship with God nor is suffering because sometimes God is blessing you because he is good and you're not. Sometimes God blesses you as a reward for your faithfulness. Sometimes God has you suffer for consequence of your sin. Sometimes God has you suffer because it brings him glory and has nothing to do with you. Since we are not listening to God, since we cannot discern his voice, that's why life gets confusing. The only way to truly lock on is to read his word and listen to his voice and be close to him in prayer and begin to ask God, why is this occurring? Assemble all of you and listen to me. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he, the only God. I'm the first, the last. I'm the Alpha and Omega, what reality is all about. My hand laid the foundation of the earth as creator. My right hand of authority and power spread out the heavens. When I call them, they stand forth together. It begins and ends with God. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves his freedom worker who cyrus yes probably messiah maybe he shall perform his purpose on babylon 150 years or at the end of time his arms shall be against the babylonians the chaldeans i even i god have spoken i called him up 
I have brought him. He will prosper in his way because I say so. Draw near to me and hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord has sent me. This is now the Messiah and his spirit. Oh, that you paid attention to my commandments, verse 18. Then your peace would have been like a flood. Your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand. Your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. What's that mean? It doesn't have to be like this. All the drama and the sin in your life that is exhausting you doesn't have to be there. Go out from Babylon now that you're free. I'm calling my shots early. Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it and send it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And I paraphrase the final piece. God will provide for them to return to their promised land, but the wicked will not be allowed to rest. God will be glorified. Hmm. What is life about? Life is about to interact with whatever comes our way in a way that glorifies the Lord. I found it embarrassing in my prayer time a while back that I was talking with the Lord about a chronic condition that I've had. I remember praying to God to take it away. Still do. But here's what I realize is underlying my prayer. God, make things more comfortable for me. God, can you receive less glory so I can feel better? And I reflected back on the fact that he died on the cross for me. He went through the ultimate humiliation so I might be more comfortable. He took all the hits and the dishonor. And now every time I pray, I'm asking for him to still continue to take a little less glory so I can feel a little better. The purpose of our lives every day is to say, God, what do you want in me? How do I know you? How do you know me? What mask must I remove? What authenticity should I walk in? What light should I come out into? God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to think? What do you want me to believe? See, the whole point is always relationship. And sometimes suffering builds relationship. Sometimes blessing builds relationship. But understand this. Whether great or terrible, God wants to be with us every moment of every day. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your incredible, intense glory. Lord, today we are going to walk out of this place and say, yes, Lord, because we know that you are right. Forgive us for that which we cry out for ease and ask you to give up your glory. Allow us to engage with everything that is right for our sanctification, that the, our homes might be cleared out and you might have room to walk. We want you to look good in us, God. We want your glory to rise. We want your praise to emit from our mouths. We do not want to shut you down in any way. So God, be glorified in us today. We offer ourselves afresh to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Closing challenge is this. 
awakening. No. In his word, God describes Job's perseverance. God didn't make Job better, but was glorified through him. Sometimes it's not about you. It's about his glory. Are you all right with that? 